In fact, they come from the Midlands. It's the Climax Blues Band, and they couldn't get it wrong. Climax Blues Band, they couldn't get it right. And um, I'm trying to get it right today. I got a little bit of a different angle on the uh, on the yacht. We're kind of more close up. I get I, It's this new camera that I have. And um, so I was trying to use the green screen today. Of course, you know, 
news to the world. I'm really not on the dock of a yacht harbor. Just in case you're really wondering. Um, so the new camera is actually reading. It's got a more finely tuned sensitivity of green. So it's actually reading the shirt that I'm wearing, which is kind of a blue green as green. So I'm not really getting the full green screen effect. So we're going with the, uh, the old camera today here, right on top of the computer. You know, there's always something and there's a Mercury retrograde going on. So it's a time of discovery. Speaking of discovery, look who's with us today. He's right here. If we had the other camera, you'd see him. He got right in before the show started. He's like, I'm in today. And for those of you listening on the podcast, thank you for listening. We have uh, Jasper, the astrological cat in the house, always bringing his magic mojo to the show. And uh, we love when Jasper joins us, especially when he attacks my hand. How is everybody? Um, it is the uh, 13th. We are two days removed from 9-11 and the absolutely epic show that we did with Christopher Knowles over on YouTube. And, you know, that show, which I think might have been the longest show that I've done, I think it's around four hours. And uh, Christopher and I did two with his absolutely, and the pun is intended here, a stellar presentation of the uh, astrotheology related to 9-11. Uh, and then the other part of the show was me breaking down the 9-11 uh, birthday chart of Jesus um, the chart of 9-11 itself and what happened on that day. Right. Yeah. Astrologically. Well, today we're going to get into more of the nitty gritty of 9-11 and some of the details that, um, well, that I left out about the actual event because we were looking at this from celestial perspective, a planetary perspective, um, also in terms of what I would call the event canon, which has to do with kind of my own version of synchro mysticism. I would call it astro mysticism because of the uh, acknowledgement of the patterns that were involved that led up to 9-11. It's, it's a very good show and it's worth your time if you haven't found it. Um, it's, a long, it's a long sleigh or a long sled. Uh, but it's worth it, and particularly Christopher's work, which is highly detailed. And, you know, he's got that uh, artistic background as an illustrator. So when he puts something together with, like, the illustrations of where the uh, constellations are, like Cepheus and connected it up to the uh, uh, things like the... Uh, Yo, uh, Yo, uh, Boaz and Yakin and some of the Masonic uh, symbolism that goes along with it. It's like, you know, pretty amazing stuff. Just in terms of the, the artistic detail, the creative detail that goes along with it. So that was the main thrust of uh, the Sunday night show. Today, we're going we're to get into the, the gritty. The gritty. Uh, came through a day yesterday of feeling slightly melancholic which I don't normally feel. And it could be the, the change of the season 
which is upon us here. Uh, but it could also be something in the air. And it was something that other people were experiencing simultaneously. And just kind of out of the blue, offering up their uh, their perception of how they're feeling. And I got a, I got a random text that was um, sad. It will pass. Uh, well, that's interesting because around that time I was feeling um, a type of sadness and, you know, there, so part of how I have perceived my purpose to be during this time that we've been in was, and has been and continue will continue to be uh, offering a space where I don't want to use the word hope because I'm not a, I'm not a big hope person, but offering a space where uh, we can anchor our, our fears a little bit, um, but we can equally anchor our faith in that this world that we're in this realm is um, going to at some point pivot and turn because we know what's going on. We can see what's happening. And, Every day, the feedback loop doesn't seem to get markedly better. And in fact, what we're seeing is that the, at least from the feedback loop that's in front of us, right, that it gets markedly worse. That, um, I mean, you know, I scan all kinds of sources for things to bring to the table for discussion. And some of the things that, that cross my path um, over the course of a day, um, quite honestly, I, I, there's a really good chance I wouldn't, I wouldn't show it here because it would leave you in a state of uh, fury in some cases, horror in others. Recently, there's a story from the Bay Area, a place that I grew up in, and uh, it was from a, a town called San Carlos, um, which is a, a place that I used to hang out in. And they had a record store there called Rod's, Rod's Used Records. I used to hang out at Rod's. I used to buy music at Rod's. It's also where John Lee Hooker would hang out because he lived in the area. So San Carlos, a sleepy little bedroom community uh, in the Bay Area, and I also, um, I worked there too for a brief period of time. Um, I was a, one of those guys or people that would go to office buildings and water the plants. That was my job. And it was actually pretty, it was actually a pretty cool job. I have to say it was, uh, it allowed me to be out in the world and cruise around. And it was, it was a real learning curve for me. It was one of those jobs that was, like a total, total learning curve. Uh, because when I first started it, I was really shitty at it. And it was killing all these plants. <laughs> and I ruined this fucking table uh, because I overwatered this one plant. And these are, you know, fairly nice offices. So God bless Sharon, who's the woman who had hired me. And she said, look, you got two weeks to get these plants right or you're gone. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't want to lose this job. So I really focused, like that's what it really took. It took focus and I wasn't, it was a combination of not being focused and 
you know, unless you know what you're doing with plants, you, you can fuck them up, right? So I was nervous with these plants. It was like, oh, how much do I give them? Is it too much? Is it not enough? Like I was overthinking the whole plant thing. But then I got really super focused with it. And once I got focused with it, everything, everything switched, everything flipped. And then I, you know, could, I would, I could nail these, these uh, plants and all these offices. So one of the places was a bank that I used to take care of these plants. And it was a, a savings and loan, which of course went down because the, uh, the guys who ran the bank were fucking crooks embezzling money. And, and it, you could tell too, because I went up to the executive offices of this bank and um, a huge bank, like, you know, it was like three stories. So you, you had a bottom floor where of course you would do your transactions, but then there were, all, there was all this support staff, you know, the, you know, people that had, you know, the, the accountants and whatever, whatever they do at banks, there was a lot of them. It was for the entire, um, you know, bank system, the franchise. So this was like the central, this was the hub. And I remember going up to the executive suite and like these, the dudes that ran this bank look like fucking Kings. Cause I'd go in, I take care of their plants inside of their office. And their office was like, well, they had a bed there. They had a, they had a shower, they had a bathtub, they had like a living room. I mean, you know, if you wanted to get away from the house and like diddle your mistress or an escort, you just be at the office. It was like right there. I mean, these guys live like fucking Kings. And uh, I, I would just look at it and I'd go, I know what's going on here. <laughs> it doesn't have a lot to do with banking unless it was a sperm bank. So, uh, but it was, it was, a, it was a good job. And there, there was this one thing I had to do. I'm not even sure if I could do it today, to be honest with you, because you know, you, you get to a certain age, right. And it's like, Whoa, I don't know about this, but they had these, like the hanging garden of Babylon that was in the, again, it was the executive offices. And it was, it was something like out of a sci-fi movie, you know, it had that kind of seventies feel to it. Everything was white. And then there was a, there was a receptionist secretary. She was the only person there, right? And she was the receptionist secretary for the, the guys that, you know, had the, uh, the romper room. And that, that in and of itself would be a weird job, right? She was, she was kind of like the queen bee in a lot of ways of this company. Because down below, you know, three three floors down, there were all these worker bees that were doing all this other. She was like the queen bee, so I'd interact with her. But they had this hanging garden, and it was pretty high. Like, you know, the the they had like a kind of a combination sort of window and and uh, glass ceiling, right? So there was sunlight coming through, and then along the edge of this window was a planter box. And they had, uh, it's a particular plant. It's called, um, oh, what was it? Aglaonema. I, I even remember the name. So there's an aglaonema. These were silver tip aglaonema. So they, I think they have a, a like a kind of a, a drooping quality. So I would have to get up on this ladder, you know, one of these extendo ladders 
and I had a I had a tank that I'd fill up with water, and I had this long extension hose, and I had to literally get up on this ladder, and I was probably about maybe twenty feet, like that's how high it was, and I'd have this hose and I'd go down the line, this planter box, uh, all the way from start to finish, in the uh, upper part it almost looked like a scene out of blade runner this office that's what it looked like and then when i was done i would go into the executive offices and i take care of all their very very expensive plants uh and that was a cool job and i got it right see i brought it back to the song i got it right i kept the job and it was fun it was one of those fun jobs at autonomy go in go out you know, get a sandwich somewhere, bring the van back, clock out, go home, and just do your shit. Right, Jasper? Look at him. He's just blissed out right now. Anyway, welcome to the show. We're going to get into 9-11 today. Uh, before we get into 9-11, I do want to talk about our sponsor. And I have some very exciting news to share with you. Chris is coming up, and I, I asked him about this before. Um, Chris is coming up with a Chataria-specific product. We are going to have a limited supply and a limited product specifically for us. It is um, a Chataria blend of CBD that will be available via capsule form and it will have a it'll come in a special box with a chataria logo on the box so he's doing this specifically for us it's going to be a limited run so if you want to grab some of that i'll let you know when that happens maybe we'll have like a special link or something i don't know how we'll how we'll manage that. But um, he's working on that. Uh, we we're working on the logo this weekend. So you're going to love the logo. Lady uh, uh, Lady Artemis pulled that together. You'll meet her at the event in October. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, you can get any of Chris's other products over at uh, truehempscience.com backslash ref backslash 23 including the good old gummies, which saved my ass last night and helped me uh, fall asleep. What was I listening to before I went to bed? Oh, I think I was listening to Black Pigeon. And uh, the, uh, on, the oncoming darkness of winter in Europe, the dark winter that is upon us. Uh, so there you go. If you want to get a good night's sleep, or you want to deal with things like inflammation, you want to make CBD a regular practice in your life, which is what Chris and I have talked about as a practice. Um, this is a good chance for you to look into it. And as I mentioned before, Chris will be joining us on Friday at our event in Kerrville. So he's going to have a table set up there with some uh, very interesting uh, CBD concoctions 
for us to sample. And if you haven't purchased any of this product uh, in uh, or through the show, um, you'll be able to do that at the event. And I think you'll get the, I think uh, Chris will be uh, in discount mode as well. And, and you'll get a chance to meet him too. Super nice guy. Really great guy. Anyway, there you go. You spend $100, you get some free CBD thrown into the mix. Uh, $150 and more, you get free shipping. So true hemp science backslash ref backslash 23 and uh, a little, a little, a little mana, a little mana for your day. Okay. Um, oh, I didn't, I never saw this part. This is cool. I'll show it next time. All right, let's get into, you know, I got, I got the best compliment on Chataria. And let me see if I can get into uh, our website here. I got the best compliment uh, about Chataria on the show on Sunday night. I don't know if you guys read the comments at all. Uh, let me, let me read you the comment. It's a great comment. I was also accused of uh, indulging in too much football talk though. Can't please everybody. Okay. Oh, uh, look at this. How do I do get rid of this? So check this out. I never, I did not see this. So I, I did a, you know, we did this show on, on 9-11 and that YouTube added, this is why, you know, I keep thinking, you know, why don't you go back to YouTube and build your audience? And this is why I don't go back to YouTube. September 11 tax, Encyclopedia Britannica. So YouTube decided that they wanted to add context to all of this. Oh, gee, thanks, YouTube. Okay. Let me see what we got here. Um, here it is right there. I love your live chat. Super chill, awake, and intelligent folks. Great show tonight. You guys, I'm telling you, you guys are special. You're like, you're like the special needs kids of chats. No, I'm just kidding. I can't. I can't. I can't blow sunshine up your butt too much, but you guys are great. So let's get in. Let's see how you're doing. This is our Monday. DJ MC is here. What's going on, Michael? My man, Ryan in the house. Good to see you. Kabuki theater. What's going on, KT? Great connection yesterday. And um, wishing you a great journey. Uh, let's see. Miss Nakia. I saw a picture of Miss Nakia. It was Miss Nakia and, uh, and JJ. It was great. It's great seeing the photo op and people connect. Stumbling towards kitchen. I had, I had a bit of that this morning myself. Uh, let's see. Queen Lisa is here. So apparently, Lisa, there's a, a vacancy for a queen um, in England. I've been reading about this. It's a job opportunity over there. You may want to apply for that or maybe not. Sony's here. Hi, Sony. Good morning. I have a cup, but it's a fucking nitro cup. Let's see. Fall is here. Uh, 
up here, here up in so in so nine. <laughs> okay, we'll take your word for it. Uh, let's see who else do we have? Uh, Sconey. I don't know why I came out like that. I don't. Sometimes the autocorrect has a spirit of possession. What's going on, Fran? Good to see you. Fantastic, Michael Pafford here in the house. Good to see you, Paf. My gang. Oh, who else do we have here? Uh, it's the night people's job to take the day people's money. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, let's see. I didn't finish the San Carlos story either. Shit. Let me go through chat and then I'll finish the San Carlos story. I got, I got sidetracked with a trip down uh, Botany Lane. Uh, feels like one big fake reality show. It's getting faker all the time. Just waiting for the shoe to drop. Anna Sophia. There she is. Great song. Yeah, you know, those guys don't sound English at all. They're from the Midlands. And the Midlands, from what I understand, is kind of like the south of England. It's it's sort of like the uh, where the folks are. That's where Robert Plant and... Uh, John Bonham hail from is the Midlands. What's going on, Mark M? Great to see you, brother. My brother from another astrological mother. Michelle Marie Taylor. What's going on, Michelle? Madra Mia. She's in the house. Let's see. Who else do we have? Wendy says the beautiful one is here. The beautiful one. You know what that's from? That's from the live rendition of... Steely Dan's Bodhisattva. Did I tell you guys my Bodhisattva story? Did I tell you that the other day? There's still, you know, there's still a part of me that is vindictive. I haven't clearly worked that part out yet. I'm still working on it. You know, we have these things that we're working on. And the vindictive part, that may, that may hang out for a while. I have to say. So I, I came out of the gym last week. And I think I might have said this already, but I'll show, I'll, if you haven't heard it before, I'll, I'll, you get to hear it now. If you heard it before, well, you get to hear it again. I came out of the gym last week, and there was this chica who was standing next to me in her car. I get my car, and she's got her car door. Well, it's not her car. It's the person who's driving the car. It might be a Pathfinder. And she's got this kind of hard-ass, slightly lesbian Latina look about her. I'm just, you know, I'm making a huge judgment here, okay? Brand me. Just brand me. And I'm trying to get out, and she was, she had that, that defiant kind of stance and moment. Like, I said this before, most people would shut the door or get inside the car to allow me to pull out without having to worry if I was going to hit her door or her for that matter, or my car, which is more important than the other door. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, I'm not really kidding. Um, so she wasn't doing it. I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to roll down my window. She's right next to my passenger side window. And I knew I had Bodhisattva. The live version by Steely Dan. That's what I was listening to. I was cranking it before I got to the gym. 
And then I got to the gym, I turned it off, but it was still at that same volume. And I knew where it was. I knew where in the song it was. It's at that intense, loud, cacophonous ending. And so I just, I, I'm not going to touch anything. I'm just going to roll that window down. I'm going to start my car. And then I'm going to hit her with a blast of Bodhisattva. I gave her the Bodhisattva blast. And guess what she did? She shut the door and walked around to the other side of the car. I was successful. I moved somebody with my mind. And it was, it was sound. It was mind sound transference. I didn't have to say a thing. All right. Who else do we have here? Somewhere in there is a very high falsetto. Yes. Cappy Carey's here. We're going to be seeing her real soon. There's my man, Maurice 100. Good morning, everyone. Find it funny in a way how the proponents of the Western viewpoint have the Ukrainians writing the Russians at nearly every turn in their reporting at the same time. Who knows what to believe in that fucking fiasco, except for the fact that I think that Putin and Russia is being used to take down the West. That's what I think. And I think Putin is just going right along with it. Uh, let's see. Soul Train has new meaning. You know, that was really interesting. I was, I was, as we watched that video, it was amazing how many of the kids in that audience, that was Top of the Pops, um, kept turning around looking at the camera, right? That was really interesting because they knew they were being watched and they were going to be on TV. So they wanted their face to be on TV. And as the song progressed, you saw more and more heads look back towards the camera, which had this big kind of wide angle shot. Um, they kept paying more attention to it. There was one kid there. I think he was wearing a Joe Montana shirt. I could be wrong. Looked like he was wearing a Joe Montana shirt. Uh, I met Alex and Alexander, plus a few other similar viewpoint. Uh, and is just the opposite. I follow Alex and Alexander. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? Let's see. Yes, that was a great show. So says Roseanne, Rosanna, Anna, Dana's father. Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? The splash photo was intriguing. What is it about? We're going to talk about it. Chris has become the authority on the esoteric stuff. Chris, Chris, here's what I will say about Chris. It's funny because I, I had a really interesting conversation with Chris last night on um, on Twitter, and we and he sent me this video of um, that Tom Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch had gotten as a FOIA, and when you look at the video. It's not a plane. I mean, come on. It looks like a missile, like a hypersonic missile coming in at about six feet off the ground, really, from a distance. That's what it looks like. So I brought up um, the rummy moment where he talks about the trillions of dollars that are missing. And then I brought up Dov Zakim, who was the uh, controller or the comptroller. They call it the comptroller for the Pentagon. And that money 
Rumsfeld, I'll see if I can find the video. Rumsfeld talks about how this money just went missing, and that was on the 10th of September. And then Dov Zakim, who is the comptroller, well, guess what? He goes missing too. Turns out that Mr. Zakim is a dual citizen, and not only is he a comptroller, but he's a trained rabbi, and they both disappear. So I brought this up with uh, Chris, and he didn't know about it. And I'm, this is not, I am not casting aspersion towards Chris, by the way. He didn't know about it. And what's interesting is that if you go back and listen to the conversation we had on Sunday night, uh, 9-11 was his red pill. That was his red pill moment. And so he evolves from that red pill moment. And for him, it takes the shape and form of him being able to use his creative and artistic talent and then be able to see these patterns as they repeat themselves and then the deep dive into the astrotheology and mythology and start to connect all these dots, right? But he didn't, what he didn't understand or have any um, background with is the down and the dirty, which is what we're going to talk about today. So he has evolved along like a certain corridor, a certain path. And we all do. We all evolve down like a certain corridor and a certain path. And so for Chris, he has this um, remarkable kind of focus to his work and and there's boundaries with that work right because if you go too far outside of those boundaries then all of a sudden you start to have to process too many things and then you're 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 dealing with all these different influences which could influence your work right so i understand where he's coming from like he's not going to He's not going to get into the gritty because he's looking at it from a different perspective. And then everything evolves along that perspective, which is an artistic term. So I get it, right? It's one of the reasons why I have my own version of this. Like I don't really watch too many other content creators. I, I really don't. People will send me video links all the time. I, you know, this is, please don't, don't take this personally. I mean, I maybe watch about half because in some cases, the content that's being shared, I already know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but this is my full-time job. You know, my full-time job is to go through just tons of material that's in the present, also in the past, and try to filter it and somehow come up with something cogent that people can wrap their heads around help make more sense out of, um, find something that's interesting as a, a topic of discussion, expand the relationship to our awareness around these things. And then in other cases, in some, and there are some people who are great with content. There are great content creators out there. And, the, and, 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 and I will acknowledge their greatness, right? I will acknowledge that. There are some people out there that are absolutely stupendous. And, and even if they're stupendous, there are times where I will not watch them. 
And it's because I don't want other ideas permeating my work, you know, and I'm not curing cancer, but I try to do things that have some relative foundation basis and meaning that I think in some ways might be relatively unique, like a fresh take. And I don't want to either directly or indirectly sample somebody else's work. So I understand where he's coming from based on that. I totally get it. Totally, totally get it. So we evolve along certain lines. Like there are purists or some people, you know, like Christopher Parkening, who was a great classical guitar player. I don't think Christopher Parkening ever picked up uh, a Fender and at least not publicly and plugged it in and started, you know, shredding with, uh, you know, a fuzz tone and, and a wah-wah and a whammy bar. You know, he just, he was, he was a classical guitarist. That, that's what he did. You know, people ask Solzhenitsyn why he never learned English. And he said, because if I learned English, it would corrupt my mother tongue and it would corrupt my ideas. So I get where he's coming from. I totally get where he's coming from. I, on the other hand, have a bit of attention deficit disorder. So I like to source from a lot of different things, uh, from the uh, mundane to the sublime. And um, that's part of the reason why you're here today, I'm sure. Um, but Chris is is just completely top-notch. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have here? Let me go through the roster. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Scrubbies, what's going on? Tamara, good to see you. Uh, is Kelly B here? There's Janine. Hi, Janine. Welcome to the show. Kelly B is in the house. Rocky. Hi, Rocky. Free humanity. Hi, free humanity. Let's see. What happened in San Carlos? I'm going to get to that. Thanks for the reminder. There's Steve. What's going on, Brother Steve? I think we're good. Scrolling through. Did I leave any? Chad. Hey, Chad. Chad's a little uh, late on the arrival time. I'm thankful for my second job at the vitamin shop. Cool. That's a good resource. Plus you get the discount on the supplements. I bet one AI rerun rerun a rerun was the dancer from the lockers. Oh, we got a low key sighting. How about that? Good to know. Bodhisattva wasn't Michael McDonald. So Michael McDonald should never sing classic original silly dance as though his songs aren't bad enough. You're preaching to the wrong crowd, brother Loki. Preaching to the wrong crowd. All right, let's get into this. Um, so San Carlos, there was a woman that was beheaded in San Carlos. This happened last week. This guy, he was an illegal immigrant had a history of violence. I think he'd been kicked out of Canada. And uh, this woman had a, had a, a child and uh, he cut her head off with a sword right in front of her apartment. And the detectives who uh, were there 
had never seen anything like it. Now, uh, and the you know the first responders, all these people had never seen anything like this, and they had to, <clears throat> like, they're now having to deal with this thing, right? This is not your run of the mill, you know, you, you know, homicide that takes place all across the U.S. and even the planet. Don't kid yourself; they have homicides in Europe, even though they don't have guns. Um, so now they're in, they're in deep therapy for this thing because that they don't teach you that at the Academy. They don't cover beheadings at the Academy. So I didn't, you know, I don't, this is the stuff I filter through and try to make, I was gonna have a bad pun here, make sense out of. So these events though, they're, they're, they're accumulating, right? They're adding up every day. They're adding up and they're adding up and they're adding up. And they seem to be like this snowball that's rolling down a mountain and it's, and it's gaining more mass as it hurdles at breakneck speed to the unsuspecting village below. This is what it feels like. I was watching another video making the rounds yesterday on, on Twitter, horrible, horrible video. This kid who a uh, young kid is at school in the bathroom and he, you know, winds up getting the shit beaten out of him. And he's wasn't big. He was a, a smallish kid. Right. And I, you know, I hate to say it, but uh, there's, there was a difference in the melanin content between the bully and the bullied. It was horrible. It was horrible what happened to this kid. You know, and, 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 and I watched this and I'm like, we, we, we have let loose a contagion in our society now. And the breakdown of it is accelerating so quickly that we are headed into Mad Max territory. This is where this is all going. Meanwhile, from the top, they're coming after these people who are are Trump's. And I got a I got a text from a friend yesterday, and there was a woman who apparently, where she from? Michigan. She got raided. She got raided by the FIB, and they accused her of being in Washington on January 6th. She had to prove she wasn't there. Well, they went there because she was a fairly vocal supporter of Trump and all things MAGA and um, a patriot, right? I mean, they all got kind of kludged together. So they went to her house and accused her of being there. So we have, it's like the pincer effect, right? So we have this top-down thing coming down at us, and we have this bottom-up thing coming at us, and it just and we're, we're, you know, we're in the middle of this vice grip where the pressure is getting more and more intense with each passing day. And meanwhile, society, so-called society, they can't wait to have yet another moment where something is intrinsically systemically racist 
and I was reading about this. Uh, there's this show. What's it called? Something. It's like a show about a school. I don't watch. I don't watch TV. Let me see if I can find the, the reference, and I'll get to the picture here. Um. Oh God. Quinta Brunson. Okay. All right. So I never heard of this person before. And she won an Emmy. And um, let's see which. Oh, okay. So she won an Emmy for a show called Abbott Elementary, which is kind of a takeoff on the office and um, uh, what is it? Uh, community, which is another kind of mockumentary about a community college. So this is another mockumentary and it takes place at a uh, school in Philadelphia. And uh, I guess it's called what Abbott or something like that. What's the name of the school? Abbott elementary, I think anyway. Uh, the school is primarily all black. Most teachers don't last past the third year. And it's been on for one season. And it garnered all these Emmys. And I looked at the ratings for the show. It started, it came on, I think, late last year. It was, I think it was a replacement show. And it was 66th in the ratings. Now, granted, there are a number of shows that have, um, well, there are a number of networks now. You have Fox, you have FX, you have you know, all these networks. And so the ratings span all these different, before it's just really three networks. The CW's in there, right? But even so, based on that, most of the highest rated shows are major network shows. You know the usual suspects, NCIS, Chicago Hope, whatever, those fucking shows. Um, that show was rated 66. And it's gotten all this critical acclaim and all these all these Emmys. And uh, back in the day, if your show was 66th, uh, you were cancellation fodder. I mean, truly, you were cancellation fodder. And just to take it to the extreme in 1967, they have what was called the great purge and the great purge was when Brandon Tartikoff essentially wiped out all the programming that had to do with rural America on what was it? CBS or NBC. It might've been NBC. So shows like Petticoat Junction. Uh, I've talked about this before the Beverly Hillbillies, um, the wild, wild west, and I think even a show like, what was it? Uh, was it Family Affair? Was that in on um, My Three Sons? All these shows that were very highly rated had loyal audiences, really loyal audiences. They all had axed. So it doesn't matter if your show is successful or popular. And it doesn't matter if your show is middle, is, is, is you know, crawling around in the basement of the ratings. It's all very subjective. And if the social engineers want to be able to cut the programming in one way 
or keep other programming on life support in another way, they're going to do it. The Simpsons, I was shocked. The Simpsons were way down in the ratings. They were like in the 200s. And yet they're still allowed to, you know, present their form of predictive programming into where we are. So we see these things happening in, in, in the world and in the media. And then we see the, the sort of what I would call the minor demons. And the minor demons are now all of a sudden Jimmy Kimmel is being accused of racism because he had a gag that went on for too long. He was laying down while Quinta Brunson did her speech. Who knows? Who knows what the fuck that's about? So there, there, there are the bumper rails of reality that we have to stay in between. All right, let's get into uh, the topic at hand, which is the down and dirty 9-11. And we'll jam on this for uh, 20 minutes, 40 minutes. The picture that you're seeing here, um, which is the big fat thumbnail, is something called Project Gelatin or Gelatin. And I first learned about um, gelatin when I was a regular visitor on the Let's Roll Forum, which was popular around 2010, 2011. And this guy, Phil, I forget Phil's last name, but um, he, this was a great, great um, resource for all things 9-11. And I learned, there were a number of things I learned um, through that forum. One of the things I learned was about gelatin and gelatin or gelatin, however you want to say their name, uh, was a quote unquote performance art group. And they were from Austria uh, and they had been commissioned to do an art installation in one of the towers prior to 9-11, just months prior to it. So they were actually living um, inside of the uh, inside of the Twin Towers. Let me see if I can, I'm going to go and try to find the uh, a good page for you guys to look at here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, so you can see, just, just to see some of the imagery. Let me go, let me go into... Uh, Let's do this. Oh, that's not where I want to go. Uno momentito. Give me peck away because of the wrong. Um... Okay, so let's go through some of the imagery. So this is some of the imagery around gelatin. And they had this project that they were doing called 
the B thing. And they were essentially camped out. It's funny how all of a sudden we get into Jello. Um, how they were camped out in the World Trade Center. Here's a an image. So this is where things really get into the gritty, right? This is a picture of them. Let's bring this up. Um, looks like, what is this, Dutch? This video is private. Okay, so this is a pretty well-known picture. This is the picture, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, that I used for the uh, for the thumbnail. This is gelatin. This is the, the the art group, supposed art group that was doing this art project in the uh, in the Twin Towers. One of them, and they put out a very mysterious book, which we'll look at here in a second. Um, I'm going to go to Amazon, and they have all these strange illustrations, and they built this thing that sticks out over, um, I think it was, a, was it Tower One? And the, the whole idea here, I still don't understand the idea, at least the way that they presented it, because everything is obfuscated. When you look at some of the illustrations, they're all obfuscated. But one of the things that comes up through their illustrations is that they are... Um, that there's this illustration of the falling man. And there's one of the ideas around gelatin is that they actually had a pre-record of the falling man and that that image or that pre-recorded video of the falling man was used in the 9-11 production. Now, some people have honed in on these boxes. You can see how they're all kind of stacked in a very particular way and then built into the infrastructure in the wall here. And I think there's another photo, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, here it is. So people have zoomed in on these boxes. You see how they're all stacked in this very unique way, right? Here's some of the imagery. Like there's, you know, this is this is in the book. They have a book. I'll show you the book. And this is part of the imagery of the book. Like there's no amazed to surprise or astonished greatly, filled with wonder, astound, loud English mission, amazement. Like what is going on here? To break through the black belt into the amazing zone. Right? Like, what the fuck is this all about? Fill the inside with the amazing sight. This, and they, so here we go, right? This is the Twin Towers. And I think this is connected to what they call um, the B thing chambers for SM lust, oil, uh, Professor Nietzsche's office hole to escape shame. I mean, this is just, you know, completely um, 
bizarre stuff. Build your own uh, portable balcony and visit your favorite region in vertical space. These are all pieces, right? So you have strange frame dummy inside WTC. So this is all connected to gelatin and the B thing. Now people have looked at these boxes and apparently there's a recurring number on all of these boxes and they were able to trace that number back to guess, guess what company Halliburton. And apparently they traced the product, not just to Halliburton, but the product number to fuses. So something is going on here. And these guys are theoretically doing more than just this weird bullshit um, art project. Now it could be a complete deke and a complete misdirect, but it happens just months before what takes place um, at the World Trade Center. Now, when I went to, um, let me go over here. When I went to the Let's Roll forums, that's where I, and this was years ago. That's when I first found out about gelatin or gelatin. And I'll show you their book. There are other things I found out as well. This is interesting. So the uh, author of the book is Tex Rubinowitz. And this is what the book looks like. It looks like the facing of one of the towers. And if you want to get a copy of it, brand new, it's going to cost you $2,384. Uh, if you're lucky, you can grab one for $967. The, uh, the reviews are quite interesting. Five stars, smoking gun for 9-11. Famous Austrian. I'm pretty sure these perpetrators were not from the same country as that other very famous Austrian. They're from the same religion, though, that he warned us about. Well, from the distance that pics were taken, well, from the far distance pics were taken from a helicopter, it's hard to tell what went on. If this is true, it was amazingly original and bold example of performance art. You would think there would be an official investigation from law enforcement. We know your involvement in the false flag 9-11 attacks. We know your involvement. You were brought to justice. You people are not fooling anybody. So these are people that know about this book. Someday when the crime is exposed, these people are in fact the majority of the people. However, someday if their crime is exposed, this could be a very valuable book. And then you're going to say, I wish I bought a copy. It was just $900. So the WTC towers were supposedly full of people, yet these artists had access 
to the 91st floor and most likely the whole building. And did you notice the place looks gutted already with pipes and wires showing? Research BB18, Rebecca Roth knows her stuff as well, as well as Let's Roll Forums. So that's where I was going back in 2011. Check out the key crappy CGI episode seven on YouTube. So people are hip to the gelatin trip. And again, this happens just months <coughs> before the whole thing comes tumbling down. Now, one of the things that they're referring to in one of those comments was the fact that uh, there is a hollow towers theory, which I ascribe to. And there are some very interesting images where the sun, it's an uh, early morning because it's coming from the east, an early morning sunrise coming right through the Twin Towers. And you can see that the majority of those buildings is hollow, meaning there's no office space on most of those floors. So I'm just taking a stab here, but my sense is that they probably had offices up to about the 12th floor. And then they had offices just below windows on the world, which was at the top. Maybe there were a couple layers of offices there, right? But there, when you look at a, this particular photo, you can see the sunlight going right through these buildings. There's nothing there, right? So, what, what does that translate into? Well, they wanted to have the tallest buildings in the world. The, the, you know, the, the World Trade Center towers, there's a, there, there's a lot to them, obviously. Um, but they were under a rapid um, program to get them erected, for lack of a better term. So to do that, and all things are bigger in New York, to do that, they basically created these false facades. And so it looked like every floor was occupied, but it wasn't. And this is reflective in the debris field from uh, the explosions. And when you when people would go you know go through the debris field, and this, these are the accounts of people that have been there, that they would not find anything. Maybe they would find a toilet. Um, or the remnants of a desk or a chair. And you could say, well, it all got eviscerated. And maybe that's true. But it would not, if, if all those floors were filled up, then the debris field would have been far greater because there were things that were found, right? There were things, and you could say, well, maybe it was away from the blast or whatever. And that's why it, it you know, it survived the, the implosion. Um, maybe. Maybe, but it would be a lot easier to have a controlled demolition on two buildings that were not reinforced with what they needed in order to have a structurally safe building so that it wouldn't do what it did, right? So for all intents and purposes, they were built for the exact same reason that we saw it, that somewhere at some point in time, 
they knew that they would come down. Now, whether they would come down in the way that they came down or that it would be like, well, we got to have a controlled demolition and we got to take these buildings down. The other thing is that they were riddled with asbestos. So for the city of New York, who had owned the buildings and had, were in the process of selling them, that's where Larry Silverstein comes in. For the city of New York to do that and basically pull all the asbestos out and replace it with uh, insulation that would not be tubercular would have been a huge undertaking and something that they did not have the budget for. So a controlled demolition was going to be the fastest way of dealing with this ongoing lingering asbestos problem in, you know, in the, not quite in the middle of their city, but at a very important point in their city. So there was also a functional reason why these buildings were taken down. The backstory of Larry Silverstein is quite interesting. And Larry Silverstein and Larry Silverstein's brother-in-law were in a bidding war for the two buildings. And Larry Silverstein's brother-in-law was, was also involved in real estate. And he hated Larry Silverstein. He hated him. So I think part of what he was doing uh, to acquire, meaning the brother-in-law, was to um, keep Larry Silverstein from actually acquiring the buildings. You know, he was for, uh, you know, the, the, the street term was he was cock-blocking it. And then all of a sudden he drops out of the bidding. And Larry Silverstein is kind of left, you know, holding the prize, which is the World Trade Center and Building 7 and all the stuff that goes along with it. Um, and this is just months before all this happens. And of course, Silverstein takes out the huge insurance policy, which will pay off nicely once the buildings are collapsed. But the brother-in-law dies shortly thereafter. And this is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, exhibited you know, pretty good health. And then he just up and dies. He has a heart attack. So now they don't have to worry about the brother-in-law. And then, of course, Larry Silverstein makes out like a bandit. I mean, he was in possession of those buildings for, what, three or four months at the most. And he said he, you know, went up to the windows of the world every day to have breakfast. Well, it wasn't like every day. I mean, maybe he did, but it wasn't for that long. He was, he was, he was just a name on a piece of paper. He was a front man, a bag man, and a, and a name on a piece of paper. So gelatin, you add them into the hollow buildings, the hollow towers. And then you have the wiring effect, which may have been going on at that time. And you begin to put some of these pictures together. All right, so let's go into a few other pieces of the dirty here.
Okay, so this is I believe this is the video where he talks about the missing money. Um, let's see. Let's see how this rolls here. Well, I don't know if it's true. Uh, if, if it proves to be true that large gatherings of these folks actually uh, can be located, and they actually, it actually happens and can be located, you can be sure there'll be people interested in that. I just wondered, do you feel the United States is winning the war on terrorism? And oh, and I think on the issue of massing along. Oh, okay, so this is not the video, I apologize. It was um, kind of in that queue. Let me see if I can find it. What the fuck is up with his hand? I remember that. Here we go. Here we go. This is um, from February 2018. See if this is the the right mix here. Money, hundreds of millions in taxpayer dollars, and about how the Pentagon is keeping track of its spending. An independent audit finding the Pentagon's accounting failed to provide a paper trail for hundreds of millions in your money in construction projects. Mary Bruce on the Hill tonight, tracking your money. Tonight, questions about how the Pentagon is keeping track of hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars. Nine supply chains, 2,300 weapon systems, and about 5 million items. At issue, expense reports for construction projects. $384 million spent without the proper receipts. Another $465 million put in the wrong column, labeled as ongoing projects that had actually been completed. The Defense Logistics Agency admits their failure to track funding, but says none of the money is actually missing or misspent. The president today went after Democrats over military funding. Well, that's a, this is a much more recent one. Let me see if I can find this. I apologize. There's an actual video. Um, where he talks about the missing money just prior to uh, 9-11. Let me see if I can find this thing. All right, let's, let's see, let's try this one. Good thing it'd be easier to find it, not. Getting close to Pearl Harbor days. Yeah, nothing. When you say you have nothing to it. My impression of what I know thus. In Kandahar, the hope remains that Taliban and Al Qaeda forces will surrender. Um, but we have reason to believe that Omar uh, may have instructed his forces to continue fighting, which of course is putting the civilian population in Kandahar and that region at risk. 
indeed hiding in the city, the Taliban are in effect using the civilian population of Kandahar as shield. All right. I'm going to have to try a different tack here. Let's do this. They're covering their tracks pretty well. All right. Found it. My good old friends at Vimeo. Can't believe they have this up. Here we go. Pete Aldrich, service secretaries, distinguished officials of the Department of Defense. General Myers, thank you very much for those kind words. The uh, topic today is an adversary that poses a threat, serious threat to security of the United States of America. This adversary is one of the world's last bastions of central planning, it governs by dictating five-year plans, from a single capital that attempts to impose its command across time zones, continents, oceans, and beyond. With brutal consistency, it stifles free thought and crushes new ideas. It disrupts the defense of the United States and places the lives of men and women in uniform at risk. Perhaps this adversary sounds like the former Soviet Union, but that enemy's gone. Our fo foes are more subtle and implacable today. You may think I'm describing one of the last decrepit dictators of the world, but their, too, their day, too, is almost and they cannot match the strength or size of this adversary. The adversary is closer to home. Who the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I think we know who he's talking about. And it's not a little guy running around on a kidney machine in a cave. It's the Pentagon bureaucracy. Well, listen to this. Not the people, but the processes. Not the civilians, but the systems. Not the men and women in uniform, but the uniformity of thought and action that we too often impose on them. In this building, despite the era of scarce resources, taxed by mounting threats, money disappears into duplicative duties, bloated bureaucracy, not because of greed, but gridlock. Innovation is stifled not by ill intent, but by institutional inertia. Just as we must transform America's military capability to meet changing threats, we must transform the way the department works and what it works on. We must build a department where each of the dedicated people here can apply their immense talents to defend America, where they have the resources, information, and freedom to perform. Our challenge is to transform not just the way we deter and defend, but the way we conduct our daily business. Let's make no mistake. The modernization of the Department of Defense is a matter of some urgency. In fact, it could be said that it's a matter of life and death, ultimately, every American's. A new idea ignored may be the next threat overlooked. A person employed in a redundant task is one who could be countering terrorism or nuclear proliferation. Every dollar squandered 
on waste is one denied to the warfighter. That's why we're here today challenging us all to wage an all-out campaign to shift Pentagon's resources from bureaucracy to the battlefield, from tail to the tooth. We know the adversary, we know the threat, and with the same firmness of purpose that any effort against a determined adversary demands, we must get at it and stay at it. Some might ask, how in the world could the Secretary of Defense attack the Pentagon in front of its people? To them I reply, I have no desire to attack the Pentagon. I want to liberate it. We need to save it from itself. The men and women of this department, civilians and militaries, are our allies, not our enemies. They too are fed up with bureaucracy. They too live with frustrations. I hear it every day. And I'll bet a dollar to a dime that they too want to fix it. In fact, I bet they even know how to fix it. And if asked, we'll get about the task of fixing it. And I'm asking. They know the taxpayers deserve better. Every dollar we spend was entrusted to us by a taxpayer who earned it by creating something of value with sweat and skill. A cashier in Chicago, a waitress in San Francisco. An average American family works an entire year to generate $6,000 in income taxes. Here we spill many times that amount every hour by duplication and by inattention. That's wrong. It's wrong because national defense depends on public trust and trust in turn hinges on respect for the hardworking people of America and the tax dollars they earn. We need to respect them and their efforts. Waste drains resources from training and tanks, from infrastructure and intelligence, from helicopters and housing. Outdated systems crush ideas that could save a life. Redundant processes prevent us from adapting to evolving threats with the speed and agility that today's world demands. Above all, the shift from bureaucracy to the battlefield is a matter of national security. In this period of limited funds, we need every nickel, every good idea, every innovation, every effort to help modernize and transform the U.S. military. We must change for a simple reason. The world has, and we have not yet changed sufficiently. The clearest and most important transformation is from a bipolar Cold War world where threats were visible and predictable to one in which they arise from multiple sources, most of which are difficult to anticipate and many of which are impossible even to know today. Let there be no question, the 2.7 million people who wear our country's uniform, active, guard, and reserve, and the close to 700,000 more who support them and improve. The technology revolution is trans... I, he's going on and on here. Hold on. Let me get back to the actual story. right here this is what we're talking about and thanks for your patience i want to make sure that we get to the point because we're going to run this uh into a part two tomorrow because there's a lot more to cover so this is what you want to pay attention to on september 10th 2001 the u.s defense secretary donald rumsfeld disclosed that his department 
was unable to account for roughly 2.3 trillion worth of transactions. So let's let's see what this where this takes us. So it's the war on waste. That was the speech that we were listening to. He just hadn't got to that point. I'll try to um, hone in and locate um, that point in the video so you can watch it tomorrow. All right. So $2.3 trillion goes missing. One day before 9-11 happens, and Rumsfeld in that speech is also imploring that the money that we're going to get, we're going to have to deploy very quickly to boots on the ground operations. And we're going to have to bypass a lot of decision-making and people that may not want to rubber stamp the transference of money, not the 2.3 trillion, but the money that's going to be earmarked and then sent over to places like Afghanistan, ultimately Iran, right? That's what he's saying. He said, we don't want to have to deal with checks and balances. We want to take control of this thing and be able to throttle it and take money and put it to where we want it, whether it's with defense contractors, what you know, in the application of weapons, taking massive suitcases of cash over to Iraq, which is what they did, massive suitcases of cash, paying people off, right? It's like, we don't want to have, his speech about bureaucracy was more about checks and balances. Now, were they playing with funny money? Of course they were, they always do. But $2.3 trillion goes missing. Okay, who is the key person that's related to all this. The key person that's related to all this is one Dove Zakim. He even has his own Wikipedia page. He was an American businessman, writer, and former official of the United States government in the Reagan administration. He was the comptroller at the Pentagon. Zakim was born in Brooklyn, graduated from Yeshiva University High School. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree uh, in government from Columbia University and a PhD in economics from St. Anthony's College, Oxford. He happens to be Jewish. He was an adjunct professor at the National War College, Yeshiva University, Columbia University and Trinity College. He was a presidential scholar, uh, served in the Department of Defense under the Reagan administration. Um, Let's see what you have here. There was some controversy in both the U.S. and Israel <clears throat> over Zakim's involvement in ending the Israeli fighter program. The uh, IAI lobby, he argued that the Israeli and U.S. interests would be best served by having Israel purchase F-16 fighters rather than investing in entirely new aircraft. 
Uh, he left government service in 1987, joined the technology and analysis firm System Planning Corporation as his corporate vice president. Zakim signed a letter to Bill Clinton about Iraq during the 2000 presidential election campaign. Zakim served as a foreign policy advisor, George W. Bush, as part of a group led by Condoleezza Rice that called itself the Vulcans, meaning they showed no emotion. So he's got all these um, bonafides, right? But he leaves. Akeem was then appointed as Undersecretary of Defense Comptroller from 2001 in George W. Bush administration and served in the capacity until July 2004 during his term as Comptroller. He was tasked to trace the Pentagon $2.3 trillion worth of unaccounted transactions. Yep. He also played an active role in department uh, system acquisition, strategic planning, programming, and budget process. In 2008, he was appointed by President Bush as a member of the Commission on Wartime uh, Contracting in Iraq and Afghanistan. He was succeeded by Tina W. Jonas as the top budget official at the DOD, Zakim retired as a senior vice president of Booz Allen Hamilton in 2010. So he basically moves back and forth between corporations, think tanks, and the government. He sits on the Atlantic Council's board of directors. So this guy is not a minor player at all. And he basically went missing. He was MIA after the money was gone. And there was a rumor at that time that he had actually gone to Israel and um, was setting up a residence there. But it's clear that, that he, if he did leave, he came back because that's where the bread is buttered. So you have this $2.3 trillion that went missing. You have Dov Zakim, who's clearly a dual citizen and tasked with trying to trace that money. Okay, good job. Um, you have gelatin and this whole B thing, which is completely bizarre. You have the hollow towers. You have these asbestos-riddled buildings that were built for controlled demolition. And then you have the strange relationship between Larry Silverstein and his brother-in-law, which, by the way, fits into the whole Gemini model, like the brothers, even though they're brother-in-law. And then the competition to purchase uh, the Twin Towers and then the swift and, uh, you know, very um, untimely or, I guess, timely death in a lot of ways of the brother-in-law who'd had, up to this point, a pretty good bill of health, like didn't really show any health problems. So that's the foundation, right? That is the foundation, a loose foundation of what begins to happen on the following day. All right, why don't we stop here? We'll come back tomorrow and we're going to go. The next three days are all about the nitty gritty. Right? Today, tomorrow, Thursday, the nitty gritty, 9-11. You'll find it here. So thanks for being here. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. Um, I'm Robert Phoenix. Take care and um, we'll see you tomorrow.
And guess what? 9-11, Central Standard Time. Take care. Bye for now.